Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. I'm your host, Alex Banco. Skilled nursing telehealth provider Call9 last year fell victim to a common fate for companies that try to innovate quickly. The law and investor sentiment hadn't caught up to the future that its leaders imagined. But with COVID-19 breaking down so many of the barriers to virtual care, founder Tim Peck returned with a new venture, Curve Health, and a plan to build on the Call9 infrastructure to create a wider health data and predictive analytics platform for nursing home operators. Curve recently pulled down $6 million in venture funding and added veteran healthcare executive Rob McNaughton to serve as CEO. I wanted to ask Tim and Rob about the opportunities they see ahead, as well as the top areas of reform they hope Congress and a new administration explore over the years to come. Here's our conversation. Tim, Rob, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast this morning. Pleasure to be here. Great. So let's just get right into the interview. Tim, I know when we talked earlier this year, it's uh, it's November now, but we, when we talked earlier this year about you kind of returning to a post-acute long-term care space, I know you had talked a lot about you know how it kind of felt like a justification or it felt like a, maybe a vindication even to have all of these things that you had been fighting for in terms of flexibilities around telehealth and technology, you know that they finally came to fruition, even though it was under emergency circumstances and obviously very dire circumstances. You know, how have your, you know, how have, has the landscape maybe changed since then? Where do you see things now versus when you first got the news, like, okay, and when you first decided you're going to come back into this landscape and you're going to come back into trying to make platforms like these work? Yeah, well, thanks for having us, firstly. I appreciate it and appreciate you covering the, the resurgence of what we're trying to do in the long-term care space and, and in connected care in general. So, yeah, for background... Call9, which was the company that we created back in uh, 2015 uh, out of Silicon Valley, which was connected care, billing system, had some predictive analytics, was a telemedicine platform, connected a physician group that I had, uh, I had created to, to reduce hospitalizations in, in nursing homes and was very successful doing so. I had, you know, 10-payer contracts with Medicare Advantage plans and was a profitable business when it comes to that and was uh, very effective for improving patient care. The, the issue, though, was Medicare itself didn't have a way that we can contract value-based-wise. And so you, you followed the story as I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. with CMS and CMMI and with Congress uh, trying to, to advocate for reform and value-based care and, and being able to do connected health and telemedicine into nursing homes and even was uh, able to get the, the rush act, the Reducing Unnecessary Senior Hospitalizations Act, which would have created uh, value-based care incentives for, for groups doing telemedicine into nursing homes from Medicare page for Medicare patients. But all of that kind of got arrested in, in 2019 after the government shutdown and health wasn't really prioritized uh, during that year. And then, uh, as you said, in, in March of this year, 2020, after COVID hit, all of that changed. And in a week, and really even less than a week, a number of executive orders and congressional acts were, were passed, and CMS made some changes that allowed for telemedicine in nursing homes to really flourish. And adoption rates started to go through the, the roof, and that's because it was allowed to be paid for. And one number I like to give is back when started Call9, 2 to 3% of physicians had ever used telemedicine. And now it's up to somewhere, you know, well above 50%. 
And then another one is over the first six weeks of COVID, uh, after these changes were made, there was an over 11,000% increase in Medicare beneficiary use of, of, of telemedicine. And so all of a sudden, you know, people knew the value of what we were doing because of COVID. But really, this patient population, as we know, is, is isolated, is hard to get to, doesn't necessarily have the, the reach of the medical system to them, even without COVID. And so with that, we, we put together a new company called Curve. And it was called Curve. It is called Curve because we often said, hey, we're ahead of the curve here when we're at call nine. I hope, hope the, the Medicare world kind of catches up to us. And now that it has, we're calling ourselves Curve moving forward. And we've made a connected senior care platform that has, yes, telemedicine involved in it, but more based off of a health information exchange in which we've integrated ourselves uh, deeply into the EMRs of nursing homes and of hospital systems and other physician group systems. And this allows us to put this information together and really ramp up our predictive analytics side that we had started at call nine, uh, being able to, to, to look at which patients are high likelihood of going to the hospital any given day. It also allows us to, to really rev up our smart billing system and the algorithms behind that, which allowed for that profitable model in Medicare Advantage to be applied to Medicare. And so the physicians using the platform that we, we sell to who treat patients in nursing homes are able to treat these patients in a profitable way and, and be led in a, in a data-driven way. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you know, Tim, you and I have talked uh, a lot over the course of your, your journey from call nine to curve. Rob, this is our first time meeting. And, you know, just to give our listeners a sense of what your background is and, you know, what drew you into this space? Because one of the things, you know, I know you have a background in, in health, health information tech. But one of the things that I always find interesting is that, you know, there really isn't a lot of innovation around these things in nursing homes, right? Nursing homes still remain kind of this tech backwater. And I mean, in a lot of ways, it's kind of the backwater of the healthcare system that we're finding out now that there's all this, you know, no one really pays attention to it until we have a catastrophe like the one we're seeing now. So just to give our listeners some background as to what your experience is and what also drew you to this project and what made you think it was something that you wanted to work on. No, certainly. Thank you, Alex. Well, from from my career perspective, it, it spanned two chapters, a pre-healthcare and a post-healthcare. And I've now been in healthcare for about 15, 16 years. And it really started uh, due to a, a personal experience. My father was battling latter stages of cancer. And as a family, we were looking for home health care options for him. And candidly, we were pretty disappointed and disillusioned with the options available uh, to us at that time. And so I thought something needed to be done candidly. And as a result, I left my role as GM and president of a a large specialty retail company in the video game space. You know, I was uh, heading a, a company with 5,000 employees and, you know, a thousand stores and left that to, to start a home healthcare company. So hired a team of clinicians, nurses, RNs and LPNs to help me get credentials to practice home healthcare and hospice supportive care here in the Pacific Northwest and, and you know, hung out my shingle and uh, grew that company for, for three years, you know, a few hundred employees and eventually ended up selling that home health care company, um, but remained pretty passionate about long-term care and became an investor in skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities. From
from there, I actually went into veterinary medicine. I uh, spent six years with Mars Veterinary Services, which is the largest veterinary company in the world, and had a phenomenal experience there. And then uh, came back into healthcare, joining Cambia Health Solutions. Cambia is a relatively large player in the payer space with Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield, serving 2.5 million lives here in Oregon, Washington, Utah, and Idaho. And I was the chief product officer there, leading all benefit design and and product strategy and execution for our health insurance business. And then from there, went into health tech on the nurse, nursing, clinician, uh, staffing and scheduling software side of things and took that company to exit. And then, you know, earlier this year, Tim reached out to me about um, relaunching Curve. And I've been familiar with, familiar with Call9, um, just given my experience in, in home health care and, and long-term care on the Smith and Alpha front. And, you know, for me, it was a fantastic uh, opportunity to, to kind of meld, you know, my, my personal passions as well as, you know, what made sense for me from a, from a career next step. You know, I've uh, had a fairly long career in, in healthcare and technology before I got into healthcare. And so, you know, from my vantage, technology is going to be what drives change in the near to midterm for, for the healthcare sector, whether it's increasing access to care, lowering the cost of care, or most importantly, improving that client or patient's experience. And you know, for, for me, you know, the, the Curve platform, you know, how, they, how it's tailor-made to enable care for vulnerable populations such as seniors and those living with chronic conditions, just a tremendous opportunity to have an impact. Um, that frankly got exacerbated during the times of COVID. Um, I mean, as you know, it was already an underserved population, and 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 the impact of COVID certainly made it even even more so. And so, yeah, this was a, a great opportunity to join a team with a proven solution. You know, Tim and his team, and, and you know, thinking about the issues we faced for the longest time. And now there are a lot of tailwinds. You know, as you highlighted, Alex. You know, long-term care is probably been the subsector within healthcare that's been the most reticent to adopt or invest in technology. And the financial physics of long-term care are challenging, but I think a lot of those assumptions were revisited during COVID and accelerated a lot of regulatory changes that frankly needed to, needed to happen earlier. And so I think it was the, the right time for the right solution and the right team. And that's why I hopped on board. Great. I mean, I wish we could talk about veterinary medicine and video games, but uh, I don't think our uh, I don't think our listeners would be as interested in that. But uh, certainly a diverse background, and you know, I'll stay with you, Rob, for just a second because I think, given that perspective, you know, what are some of the biggest gaps that you saw around technology? You know, obviously, if you've worked with home health, skilled nursing, physician groups, if you've worked in all these areas. You know, from your perspective as an outsider, one of the things that I like, or maybe not an outsider, maybe as someone who came to the industry a little bit later than everyone else, you know, I think there's this nursing home space, skilled nursing in particular, is very, very set in its ways, very, very much, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a family business in a lot of places. People have been doing it for generations. And that's good in a lot of ways. But when it comes to things like technology development and, you know, adopting new innovations, maybe that's where it might fall behind a little bit. So as someone who came to the space from someplace outside of it, where did you see kind of the biggest gaps when you were trying to build out home health or trying to invest in skilled nursing? What, what were some of the things that you looked at and you said, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense, but this is just something that's always been done this way? Well, you know, from my vantage, it was about increasing, increasing access, access to care. And what was really needed 
uh, at that point was how do you craft a business model that works for, for all the constituencies involved so that you can put into place a, a solution that increases access to care as well as has strong business fundamentals and, and business dynamics. So, you know, for, for us at the Curve, on the Curve platform side, you know, we have a proven solution. And it was now a matter of, of crafting the, the business model that works such that, you know, what, what the SNFs were investing would, would allow them to uh, essentially have that solution in place so they could provide greater access to care for for, for the residents and patients. That in turn would, um, by, by providing a solution that allowed this access care, allow them to take in and care for more acute patients, maintain a higher census, and also get, get reimbursed more for that enhancement in, in the acuity side of things. And for, for us, it was just a matter of being able to, to first of all, prove that, that value proposition and then and craft a model that works with them and then seamlessly integrated in, in, into their workflows. And I think that's an area that you know, we as Curve have spent you know, five to seven years doing is, is tailoring this care enablement platform specifically designed to care for, for vulnerable populations, including seniors and those living with, with, with multiple chronic conditions that you know, live, in, live in skilled nursing facilities and, and long-term care. Yeah, and that that value aspect is something that I wanted to uh, talk with. I wanted to get Tim's perspective on because when you know when Call Nine, when you suspended operations for Call Nine, we talked about it, and I saw you talk in other news outlets a lot about kind of this disconnect between the where we need to go in terms of value based care and where you know payment models and where experts and where pretty much everyone you know on the payer side, especially if you're talking about Medicare Advantage and you know other private plans, that's where they're going. But the investor mindset, and in a lot of cases, a lot of the operational mindset is still fee-for-service mindset because, you know, that's where the money is right now. And, you know, I've spoken to consultants who work with nursing home operators who say, look, you know, if, if I'm trying to help these facilities stay afloat, I can't in good conscience tell them to chase a value-based mirage when there's fee-for-service money right there on the table. How do you see that changing with COVID? And have you already seen that? You know, do you think that the COVID crisis has really kind of changed that mentality? Or, you know, how long do you think it'll take for really that mentality to shift over time? Yeah. Telemedicine in nursing homes right now, even if it's billing Medicare fee-for-service codes, is value-based care. So that is an enormous shift, right? So what I mean by that is if you start decreasing hospitalizations, Decreasing trips to the emergency department because you've increased access to 24-7 physicians because you've uh, decreased time to being seen of these patients upon admission, to being seen on admission on the same day because you've driven the patient, the, the PDPM, you've driven the value-based purchasing program, the five-star increases, and therefore the value pool uh, that you get. You're increasing your census and you're making the MA payers happier, the Medicare Advantage payers happier, because you're decreasing these these costly hospitalizations. You get paid fee-for-service dollars that you didn't get paid before as a, as a physician group treating these patients, and that's value-based care. That's, that's being paid for the value that you're bringing. And so I think that's a, that's a nuance, but a major shift. I think that already, I didn't see it at first. I think I realize it retrospectively, that CMS did make a value-based care fee-for-service codes already 
in the past, and, and one of the major ones is advanced care planning. Right? Advanced care planning, when you do it with patients, saves a ton of money and increases the quality of life of that patient. Yet it's paid with a fee-for-service code, and CMS is happy to pay it. Medicare is happy to pay it. Um, and so, in a way, that you know, that's almost like a case rate. It's a, it's a value-based payment. Is it the shared savings that we all want to get to? Is it the you know bonus uh, structure that that we wish we were completely on the value-based side? No, but it is a, a really important step toward value-based thinking and mindset. And so I'm excited with the progress today compared to even uh, much compared to a year ago, and we're starting to move that way. So I think we are in this world where we can lean on fee-for-service and create value, whereas before we weren't even given the opportunity to have you know, fee-for-service codes that drove value. Yeah, and it will be very interesting to see. I mean, I don't know what you're, obviously we're in a kind of a time of flux right now for a lot of reasons, you know, dealing with a, an industry that relies so heavily on federal funding and federal population. We're going to see a new administration come in. So we're going to be in the middle of a federal transition. COVID is still not going away, but it will be very interesting to see, you know, how the new administration and how a new CMS and a new HHS really uh, tries to look at these things. And one of the questions that I've been trying to ask a lot of leaders, and this is mostly a question that I've been asking around COVID, but I think it's even more relevant now that we're looking at a presidential transition and we're going to have a lot of new federal officials. You know, what are some of the things, if you want to maybe pull back even just from telehealth and value-based payments, but, you know, this question is for both of you. What are some of the things that you really want to see the incoming administration and lawmakers really focus the most on when it comes to reform? We're going to Form over the next year, two years, three years, you really can't have the kind of you know disaster that we've seen in American nursing home without some kind of reform. And obviously, one of the big blocks to that is the fact that everyone kind of has their own opinion on what reform should look like. But you know, if you had a seat at that table, if you were you know going to Congress as you have in the past, Tim, if you were you know on a, had a seat on the transition team, and we're trying to talk about these are the top three or the top two things that you really need to focus on post-COVID and to help facilitate value-based care. You know, what were some of the things you'd focus on? And, and Tim, I'll start with you, and then we can go to Rob. I mean, the, the, the one, two, and three is cooperation, cooperation, and cooperation. So what I mean by that is <laughs> value-based care has been a bipartisan effort, as has telemedicine and connected care in general. And being someone who's spent a lot of time in Washington, you know, these things are bipartisan. These things are very bipartisan, both sides of the aisle have supported this. And the administration that just was with Trump, Seema Verma and Alex Azar, did a lot for connected care, did a huge amount for value-based care. And I'm, I'm very grateful to that. And the Democrats at the same time were also pushing on it. Now, in 2019, there was um, less um, kind of cooperation uh, on both sides. and and coordination with both sides to, to get, you know, new codes through and new bills passed. And um, there was some arresting of, of progress there. I think the opportunity here is for Republicans and Democrats to work together on something that they both believe in. It's a nice issue for, you know, the, the nation to start to work together because it's something they already both believe in. And so, yeah, the more cooperation we have, the better it will be for our patients and, and our taxpayers. Yeah, I think that's um, I, I do. That is something that I preach a lot. You know, no matter what your opinion on it, 
is, I think, senior care, I think there is sort of widespread bipartisan understanding of the fact that changes in senior care and the way that we pay for it and the way that we provide it are necessary. You know, I think that's that's probably a good, like we could all agree on that. Maybe we disagree on the exact solutions or how we want to get there, but we agree on the big picture of, you know, something we need to make fundamental change because we're dealing, in essence, with a system that was built 50 to 60 years that was never really designed for something like long-term, for caring for people long-term, for caring for people who are living into their 80s and 90s with morbidities. You know, the system we have now never designed to care, handle this reality. So I think that is a good part of the transition. Rob, same question to you. You know, what, what are some of the things that you would want lawmakers, regulators to understand, focus on as we look toward the future and we look toward really reforming things and, and making them better? Well, certainly, you know, my first thought would be underscore that that collaboration necessary on the bipartisan side of things, just to just to, to find uh, common ground and work together to, to make to make change. And you know, as you highlighted, Alex, I do think senior care is is one that you know I believe both sides can, can see the value for that. You know, in general, I think there needs to be a greater focus on long term care and SNF funding, particularly at this time. I think it was exacerbated by COVID, so. You know, you know, perhaps revisiting reimbursement around higher acuity patients, uh, as well as COVID care. But I, I think, as I stand back even even farther, uh, you know, it would be it would be fantastic if if the administration would take a look at you know the experience over the last eight or nine months. And you know, there's I think been some positive lights as we have a country and healthcare system have have had to you know battle the pandemic. And I think one of them is now the greater adoption and penetration of telemedicine and telehealth in general. And I think that for all parties involved, whether providers, patients, payers, there's been some absolute benefits to to the greater adoption. And and so how do you ensure we build upon that momentum? There are, I think, other regulations that have been chatted about and I believe passed, like the one that jumps to mind is uh, ET3, Emergency Triage, Treat and Transport, which essentially allows ER docs to provide guidance to EMS and, sorry, EMT teams in the field, which I think, again, just further underscores, you know, the value of of this type of solution and technology to provide better care, enhanced care that can also drive down costs uh, immeasurably. So, you know, looking for for that to take hold in, in 2021 as well. So, there, there's some momentum that's that's that started as a, a result, I think, of of us as a, a nation and a system uh, grappling with with the pandemic. And it would be great to to focus on those, I say, areas of light and continue them forward, even when the the COVID malaise passes. Great. And I, I certainly hope the same thing. And I think we are at a really important moment in the history of long-term care in the space. You know, I've, I've had multiple people tell me, you know, they cite the the famous, the old saw about how you can't let a crisis go to waste. And uh, I think that's very true. I think, you know, the industry and lawmakers and every stakeholder in the industry really has two choices right now. And that is to either embrace the fact that we are at a moment where people of all, from all perspectives of the industry are really wanting and really working toward reform or just accept that this is what we have and, you know, kind of go blindly toward the next possible uh, disaster. 
So I, uh, that's one of the reasons why I like highlighting leaders like yourselves who are doing interesting things, doing new things, and uh, really trying to move the conversation forward. So I know we could talk about this for hours, but uh, that's our time for today. Rob, Tim, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck, Curve, as you uh, go into this next phase. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it so much. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Banco, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.